0: All right. Good morning. So good to uh, see you guys this morning. Um, If you happen to be new with us here this morning, we want to extend a really just a gracious welcome to you. We are super grateful that you're here this morning, that you've uh, chosen to come and worship with us. We consider that a high privilege and an honor. And if you are seeking out a church home, we hope that you might find a church home right here with us at the Rock Church. But should it be that, that you don't feel like God is leading you to this church body, we are blessed with a number of really uh, great church bodies right here uh, in Sheridan and encourage you to find one that honors Jesus and, uh, and plug in to that church body and serve there as well. All right, so here we go. Time to build. Uh, the book of Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah is a book that was likely it came out of a book that was likely combined historically, which would have been first and second Ezra. Um, it, it is a book that has kind of three separate different parts. In this book, what we see is we see that the the people the people of God have been led into captivity. They've been taken into Babylon in captivity. The reason for their captivity was that the people of God weren't listening to God. They weren't weren't obeying God. They weren't doing the things that God had uh, had called them to do. They weren't really living into being God's people. And what happened was that the Babylonians rose up and came against them. And because they had kind of stepped away from God, God's hand of protection was a little bit away from them, and God allowed them to go into captivity. Again, not to crush them or defeat them, but, but to bring them back around. And this is the hard truth. This is the harsh reality with you and I, is that many times before we're ready for the freedom that God really offers and we're ready for the things that God wants to offer us and the things that we want, are, are called to walk into, sometimes God allows us to go into captivity because we're just that stubborn. It's not about God. It's not about a desire that God has. God isn't just up there with the lightning bolt just ready to just eat in front of us. But you and I, we're so distracted. And we go so many different directions. And we allow ourselves to be um, taken away from the things of God. And there's there's always just... There's an effect of that, and there's an effect of that on God's people. And so, so this is what's happened to them. Uh, the, book of Neh- uh, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they, it covers about a 110-year period from 538 to about 430 B.C. What happened in, in uh, 539 B.C. was that Cyrus, uh, the king of Persia, overthrew the Babylonians. And now the people of God are under Persian rule, and the Persian people were much more uh, they, they they were just more, much more uh, benevolent. They they had a policy of returning displaced people back to their homeland, and so we see what happened was that Ezra led a group of people, and they went back into Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple. A little bit later, um, no, I'm I'm sorry, it wasn't. It was uh, it, it was uh, it wasn't Ezra. Ezra went back and, and, and taught. It was um, oh my gosh, my brain just quit me. Um, it was. Uh, Somebody. Somebody in the Old Testament. Who was it? Ah, oh, it was Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel did that. He went back and he built the temple. And then Ezra went back. And Ezra was a teacher and a teacher of the Torah. And he took another group of people back and began to teach the people God's word and remind people of God's word, and, and, which is what I'm trying to do if I could remember it. And, and, then, um, and then ultimately Nehemiah goes back to rebuild the wall. Uh, so, uh, Nehemiah is in an interesting position We'll see this at the end of chapter 1 He is cupbearer to the king So, Nehemiah is in a high position And we see this very often with God's people When God's people are, are brought into And they're, they're held captive Or in the, you know, these, these places God provides people, his people and, and he gives favor to his people And he elevates them into high positions We see that with Joseph who becomes second only under Pharaoh, uh, ultimately for what? To lead to the deliverance of God's people out of bondage. Uh, We see that Daniel is is that as well. He's he's, he's in a high position um, within uh, the king's court. And we see here that Nehemiah also has favor with God, and God has positioned him in a place where he can receive favor, and he can walk, and he can do the things that God is calling him to, and, and really create a revolution uh, within the people of God. So, Nehemiah chapter 1 starts this way. Chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, Who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And 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 so this begins with this report that comes from Nehemiah's brother, and, and this report is this: the people that are there in the city of Jerusalem are in great trouble and they're in shame. And why are they in great trouble and shame? Well, they're in great trouble and shame because the walls have broken down and the, and the gates have been burned. And, and, and this is what happens. See, the, the walls and gates are a defensive weapon. And, and when we look at the things of God, we look even at the armor of God, the, the majority of what God gives us is, is defensive weapons. We have one offensive weapon. It's the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit, right? And it's powerful. But, but but these gates and these walls are really, they're a defensive weapon. And what does a defensive wall do and a gate does? Well, it keeps the enemy out. It keeps the enemy out. It, it, it's a preservation for the people who are inside of there. It's not to keep the people who are inside inside. It's to keep... The enemy who would want to come and invade and to steal and to kill and to destroy to keep him out. But the walls and the gates are are gone. And so the people of God at this point, because there's no walls and there's no gates, they're vulnerable to attack from any way, from any position, any time. They're completely vulnerable. And, and, And this basically breaks Nehemiah's heart. This, this idea that God's people are living in this place and they're living in this place and they are in trouble and they're in shame. And I'm just going to say this, when God's people, when the walls go down with God's people, there's trouble and there's shame. It leads to these things always. See, there's a lot of trouble that comes from us allowing our walls to be taken down. There's a lot of shame that comes when every gate that is available to the city is opened up, is burned down, and everything is now available and everything is coming in. And I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing this within the culture and within the church. We're seeing a culture and a church in which the church has allowed the gates to come down, the gates to be burned, and the walls to come down, and there's no defense. And the church is sitting back, and, and, and the church, instead of stepping into a, our right position, instead of being the church and being what we're called to be, we're a distracted people. We're, we're actually doing everything else. Our marriages, our families, our communities, our nation, and the world that we live in are really struggling. And I, and I don't want this in the end to be just a negative message, but, but I think at, and there's a reality to also to where we live. See, we live in a very sheltered place right now. But see, most of the world isn't living the way that you and I are living right now in Sheridan, Wyoming. We are much, much, much the exception. But you see, God has called us not to just live in this sheltered spot, but to be a beacon. God's people have always meant to be a beacon of light and hope, a place where, where people could come and they could know the one true God, where they could find the freedom that God has purchased for them, where they could, where they, where they could have the lies that the enemy has, has, has foisted upon them undone by the truth of God, and in that doing so, find just freedom, because it's truth that sets us free. But see, the church is, we, we, we've sat back, we've shirked back, Uh, the, The reality of the condition of the church, and I'm not talking about, when I talk about the condition of the church, I'm going to talk more in terms of the church in general in America right now. But right now, Barna says this, that people who attend church two times per month are the committed church members that you have in your church body. Two times a month. That's what they're using to gauge it now. There's a reality within us, and, and, and please don't hear anything. We all have things that come up, and this is not about legalism. We don't want to flip over into a legalistic place, and we don't want to feel compelled, but there is a reality of this, that, the, that if we begin to treat church as something that we do and is available to us when the rest of our calendar is clear and we don't prioritize it, I'm just going to tell you this, your kids are going to prioritize it a lot less than you do. So look at where we're at today and, and, and think about that. If, if, what does that look like? How, how committed am I to the church? How committed am I to the mission? And, and, and realizing that, that if, it's, if, it's, if it's lacking, that our kids are, are going to go further that way. They just are. As a matter of fact, in the church today, young people are leaving the church in droves. And there's a number of reasons for that, but, but we're actually faced up with one of the generations that has grown up in this world completely, completely unchurched. See, you couldn't grow up in the 50s and the 60s without having a lot of effect of the church into your life because it affected the culture. There were no sport, sporting events on Sundays or sports games. There, there weren't even practices on Wednesday night. Why? Because it was reserved for youth group and for church Bible study. And it, it was a part of the culture. Now, look, I'm, I'm going to tell us this. We can't be nostalgic and think we're going to look back because that is gone. But it's gone for a reason. It's gone because the, the, the walls came down and the enemy began to infiltrate the culture of the church. And, 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 and so I'm going to say we start to live as exiles. This is the call in our life is to live as exiles even within the world because this isn't really ultimately our home as it is right now. So we live as exiles and we live in the middle of this. And just like in Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, when they had went into captivity, Jeremiah 29, he tells the people, he says, you go there and you, you build homes and you take wives and you plant gardens and you get jobs, and you work in the middle of that because as your community goes, so you go. That's tries paraphrase. As, as it as, and this is what we've seen in the church as as what's happening outside of the church. We've we've thought in a way, well, we can just build big walls and, and and we'll just stay in here. We'll hunker down. We'll have our kind of our holy huddle, and it won't bother us. But. That's not what's going on. That's not the reality of the world that we're living in. The, the, the world is, has, is, is invading into the church, and, and the consequences and the struggles of a, of, a, of a world that is much more godless today are infiltrating into the church, and it's causing a lot of havoc. See, because as the church goes, the community goes. You, you see, when the church is strong and vibrant, and we have strong families, and we have strong marriages, and we have these things, and we're, we're put, the, the community actually prospers. But when, when everything starts to go poorly, and the church isn't stepping into what God has called us to be and to do, then we all begin to tailspin, and we all go into a place of struggle. You see, there's a truth that God's people really don't know God's word today. Most Christians don't have a Christian worldview today. They've, they, they, they've taken much more and, and, and adapted a, a semi-biblical worldview to the, to the view that the world has out there of, of what is truth and what is meaning and, and what is purpose and what is identity. See, we've begun to lose some of these core issues, and, and in the world that we're living in today, we're really beginning to see some of the effects and some of the consequences of a world as it, as it begins to move away from God. You see, God is the, he's the source of life. And when we move away from Him, when we take a step away from Him, there are natural consequences. God doesn't even have to bring this judgment or this fire or anything like that. The natural consequences of a people who aren't dedicated and pursuing the things of God is, is that things begin to deteriorate. Things begin to go bad. Life isn't happening, and so when life isn't happening, death begins to prevail in the world around us. Since 1973, 63 million babies have been put on the altar of Baal in our country, in our nation. See, sometimes we think we're great people, but I wonder sometimes, what would it look like today if God wrote a chapter of the Bible about America and where we're at today? And he talked about how we've offered our children up to Baal by the millions, by the tens of millions. And if the blood of one cries out from God, what does 63 million sound like? We're seeing our children indoctrinated. We're seeing, we're seeing an agenda. Don't fool yourself. There's an agenda to fundamentally change the values, and, and, and it fundamentally is coming against Christian values in this nation today. And, and how do you do that? You fundamentally begin to affect education and children, and you indoctrinate them. And things that used to be just cartoons and different things like that now have an agenda and an ideology behind them, and there is a mission and there is a goal. And we can't just sit back, because if we just sit back, so many people are going to be hurt. There's a, there's a confusion in our world today. There's this confusion on identity and sexuality and there's a social contagion that is actually going and feeding into the whole thing. And what we're seeing is we're seeing the effects of our sexual revolution gone awry. And as we begin to be a people that, that, that reject the idea of any kind of ethic that would go with, sexual, with sex, we, we open our doors to all kinds of things. And we, and we see that it begins to, to come in, and we see just a brokenness. We see a brokenness within our families. We see a brokenness uh, in our marriages. Right now, today, over 25 million people are being trafficked as slaves in this world. 25 million people trafficked every day. Right here, um, 4.8 of those are being sexually exploited. One million of those are children. Homelessness in our country right now, 580,000 people are homeless in America right now. Much of that is by choice and brokenness and addiction. I get that. That's the population of, Uni- of Wyoming. Homeless in, this, in, in, in the United States right now. Broken fentanyl deaths, 100,000, over 100,000 every year. More than that, I guarantee you. That's what's recorded. I guarantee you it's, it's, it's five times that. Fentanyl deaths, that's what they give. Suicides rate right now, the all-time high, 2022. And guess what? You live in the state that's always number one or number two. And guess what? In Sheridan County, the number one county almost always in Wyoming for suicide. And here we sit. We sit with the, with the, with the brokenness of these walls. Suicide rates for 25 to 34-year-olds is one of the highest rates there is right now. You see, when there's no protection, when there's no guard, when there's no gates, then the enemy just runs right in and does as he wants to do. And see, God's people, we're, we're those people who are, who are meant to be uh, in that place, guarding those walls, ready to call out whenever we see the enemy, going out after people. Again, please don't hear me. We are not against people. We are not going against people. We're coming for people. But what we're seeing is the brokenness of, the, uh, of this world around us. We're starting to see the actual, real consequences of what happens when we begin to step away from God. God's people don't give. 15% of people in churches pay 70% of what happens within the church. Church people give at about 2.5% right now. If people gave, if we just gave, there would be $139 billion a year that came into the churches. Maybe the church wouldn't have to relegate the duties of the church to the government anymore. Do you know what we could do with $139 billion a year? That's just the church in America. We, we, we could end, we, we could provide fresh water for every human being on earth. Sanitation. We could end starvation. And it could happen relatively quickly. $139 billion a year. But you see, the problem with us is that we're, we're caught in our own stuff. And we're too caught and we're too distracted in our own things. And we've got our own kingdom that we're building when we've been called to build his kingdom. And, and, and I tell you this, I mean, this is me. I'm not sitting up here saying, I got this all figured out and I'm doing it all right and you guys aren't. This is me. This is us. This is really where we're at. We're really allowing these things to go on. And we're really sitting back. The majority of us are sitting back and doing nothing. Nothing. Maybe we go to another Bible study and think that that really makes us spiritual. But remember, Jesus, God told James, in the book of James, it tells us that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this. It's the care of widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, we've got to bring it back We've got to be a people who, who value God's word, who, who look at it and, and recognize the freedom and the goodness that's in here. Not just goodness for us, but goodness for the whole world, goodness for everybody. Because when God's people are living as God has called us to live, when we're living in the generosity and the hospitality and the love and the goodness and the kindness, and we're reaching out and we're going and we're finding those who are broken and we're reaching out, you see, then we become a light to the world and, and things start to change. See, if you think you're going to change the world in the voting booth, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you're going to be disappointed because there's not going to be a political savior. That's an important part of who we are and what goes on. Don't, I'm not discounting it. And Christians need to be involved in that process in every part, but we're not going to change it that way. But I'm going to hold that there's more political conversations that are going on than conversations about Jesus right now. And we've got to switch that up. If you really want to see the world change out there, Jesus is the only means by which it's going to change. And there's a lot that goes on, and there's things that are going on within our lives and in our marriages and our families. And there's a reality to that this isn't easy. This is really hard, and it's really broken. But we're holding on to things. We're holding on to anger and resentments and unforgiveness. There are seeds and roots of bitterness that have grown inside of us that, that have taken hold, that continue to really just stop us. They, they, what do those things do? They, they, they harden your heart. See, when we're not doing the righteousness, there's a reason that the breastplate of righteousness goes over your heart because when we're doing the right thing, it, it's a guard to our heart. When we switch over and we begin, and I'm talking about me, and we're doing, and I'm doing the wrong stuff, and I'm allowing like bitterness to take hold and have a root in my life, then, then, then my heart is open to the attacks of the enemy. The wall just went down, and he has access. The gate just got burned down, and he has access there, and it be, he begins to do what he does is he begins to harden my heart, begins to just build an anger and a resentment and a frustration in me world around me and what's going on and all of these kinds of things and so so then we become a people who are just pointing the finger all over the place when in reality it starts right here it starts in us and it starts in us beginning to recognize our our deep need for forgiveness and also to forgive and to repent and, and to call off and to and to stand in the gap and to and to proclaim the power of who this god is and to in the name of Jesus to tell the enemy that he has to flee. And one at a time, we begin to do our part and rebuild this wall, and we can see something that's different. And it's a lie to believe that we can't do anything or that one person can't do anything because Nehemiah's... He's that guy who steps in but but God is just waiting when one of us when we just begin to, to walk into this and believe on it and stuff it, it, it mobilizes us and we when we start to get and then we something starts to build starts to grow But there's hope God hasn't left us in any kind of a hopeless place As soon as I heard these words I sat down and I wept See, the ultimate offense really is against God. In Psalm 51, David repents of his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and he says this, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. That he recognized that the deepest point of of our sin, that the sin collectively that we have is just against this God who who wants to come and do something completely different than what we're doing. And so Nehemiah goes in prayer. And the first thing that he does is he he begins his prayer in, in, in adoration, in proclamation, in recognition of who this God is. You're the God of heaven, the Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God who does what? Who keeps covenant? The God who is faithful. Who, regardless of what we do, when we're faithless, he's faithful. And he's the God who keeps covenant. He's the one who's cut covenant with us, and he is the one who keeps covenant with us. His steadfast love, it never changes. It's never different. God doesn't ever love you more or love you less. When you were at your best, and you were doing the best, and you thought you were on the mountaintop, and you were rocking it for Jesus, God did not love you more at that moment. And when you were at your worst, when you're too embarrassed to even tell us what you did and where you were at and what went on, God didn't love you less at that point. Now, he may not have agreed with our actions, but God, in who he is, his love is steadfast. It's, it's, it's unchanging. And he keeps fa- he, he, his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. When we keep ourselves close there, we're keeping ourselves close with God. And then he asks for an audience with God. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant. Who does he say he is? He's a servant. He recognizes the reality of the relationship that he's in. We're servants. You see, he's the boss. He's the king. He's the king with this kingdom, not you and me. He owns the earth and all that it contains, the cattle on a thousand hills. It all belongs and originates with him. So everywhere that you think that you're doing something, or that you're amazing, or that you've locked this all up, or you've figured this out, you've got to recognize, you've got to turn it back around, and you've got to recognize the right source. See, because until we get this idea of source right, we'll live in our own selfishness. You see, the whole, the whole concept of even being a generous and giving people is a point of source. Where does it originate with? Give you an example this isn't the giving talk. There's a kiosk right here. And I walk up to this kiosk, and when I get up to it, it pumps me out a hundred bucks. But then there's some directions on it that says, put ten back. And I'm not making a point for New Testament tithing here, but it just simply says, put ten back. And as often as I go up to it, that's the deal how often would you go up to it how how willing would you be to make that deal i would go <laughs> yeah man this is great why because it's an issue of source you recognize that the source of that would be completely and totally outside of you and when we recognize that the source of everything is outside of us it opens us up and and and, and but if you see if 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 you tell me to just get my wallet out and get 10 bucks out, now I'm the source. Now there's a problem. Now we have a problem. God is never asking you to be generous and to give because God is in need. God asks us to give because we're in need. Because my heart is selfish and my heart needs to be given, giving. My heart needs to be opened up to be a giving person, to, to make allowance for those who don't have, to make allowance for some of those people that we were talking about. And so many times I am selfish. See, God has opened this up, and and, and the great thing about this is the promises that God has, Second Chronicles 7:14, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive sin and heal their land. We have sinned against you. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer of the king. It's a prayer of confession And that prayer of confession is like a clearing of the rubble that the the wall has come down and before we're going to build another wall or we're going to go back into a building project, we're going to have to clear the rubble out of the way. And this prayer of confession and the power of confession is how we do that. You see, confession isn't to shame us. It's not to bring us into a place of disgrace. It's actually to align us to the truth of what God has told us. It brings us into a place of reality. And when we step into reality, there's a pathway there then to blessing and healing. There's a pathway there because this is the place where God operates is in reality. He never operates off in denial And so God calls us to, by confession, begin to agree with him, which in a sense is a step of repentance in itself as well. And we begin to agree with him, and we confess our sins. And we begin to recognize maybe some of the walls that are torn down and some of the breaches that have happened to us. And again, as we talked earlier, on individual levels, many times those are things of unforgiveness, of resentment, of of anger, of undealt with stuff in our lives. And, and, And God is calling us to begin to deal with those things and to seek His face in those things. Even our church, you may or may not know, this church birthed out of division. And division came back around in this church. I believe that we need to pray against any kind of spirit of division within this church body. I really do. I believe it's happened. It, it happened to us. It was a place where, you know, I'll confess to you that there were roots of bitterness that took root in my own heart and stuff, and frustrations and different things that came along, and we allow walls to go down, and as soon as the walls go down and any gates are burned the enemy's right there. And things went on and things have happened and and here we are. But we want to do it different. We want to rebuild. We we want to be a people who 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 understand this God that we're talking about, this awesome God and his capacity and his ability and his desire to rebuild broken things. You see, he's the redeemer. This is what he does. This is his job. This is his ministry. He takes what's broken and he makes it right. Nehemiah asked God to remember. The thief on the cross asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into it, when he, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's an interesting thought because God doesn't have to remember, right? God's, God's thought process is perfect. He's not like us who has to try to remember like I was earlier. Um, God's thought process is perfect but but when we when we ask god to remember it's actually called a anthropomorphism it's 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 assigning human characteristics to god and it's asking god to to remember but god doesn't forget but it's it's this idea of a of a call to action to god and and god even says that he remembered his people and then he sent a savior He dealt with it. You see, the thief on the cross had obviously recognized something deep in Jesus because Jesus at that point is wearing a crown of thorns. He doesn't look like any kind of a king with any kind of kingdom that you'd actually want to go to or serve. But you see, something deeper had happened within him, and he had a recognition that he was standing, or he was on the cross besides the king of the universe. And he said, look, when you come into your kingdom, would you just even remember me? Would you just... Even just, and Jesus said, I, t- I tell you, I'll do one better. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That day, that moment, a new creation born on a cross at the last moments of his life. This is the message of hope that, the, that, that we have as Christians is that we can be new creations. And then after we're new creations that, that we don't want to grieve Spirit and do those kinds of things. We, we, we want to be a people who are, who are walking in the goodness and the, and the things of God, not, not doing things that veil God and His presence and His goodness from us. So we're going to end with a petition here to God. And we're going to ask Him to hear and to move. Because in Hebrew, to hear was to do. There was no word for obey. It was when you heard, you moved. So we can trust and know that this God is a God who, who wants to move. I believe God wants to move. I believe He wants to move on this church body. I believe He wants to move in our community. I believe He wants to move in our nation and in our world. And I'm excited. I'm really excited for the times we live in. I think we should be excited. As, as weird as it is, We should be like, yeah, man. I mean, this is prime for people to get to the end of themselves, to have a recognition of a need of something outside of themselves. Because I believe that as we see the consequences of a world that has stepped away from God, that we're going to see a world that once again desires to anchor up to some sort of truth, something real. But you see, here's the deal. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and humility is a necessity in this, right? The opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is pride, and our pride is something that we need to let down. We need to humble ourselves here today. My call to you is to humble yourself, and I don't know all the conditions of your life or all of the things that the Holy Spirit right now might be prompting in you as we do this. But I want to encourage you to just humble and confess before this good God. See, 1 Peter 4, 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's it's saying like, I mean, what, what will be the outcome for those? If God's people don't... If we don't recognize that it starts with us and we don't repent and turn and become the light that God's called, then how bad is it going to get out there for the world out there? How bad is it going to get? And how are they going to know unless someone goes and tells them? Father, we come before you. We come before you and we recognize just who you are, that you are the awesome creator God of the universe. That you are beyond our ability to understand. You're beyond our ability to to fathom and comprehend. There is nothing that is outside of your scope of control. There is nothing that is too great for you. There is nothing that could ever overpower you or or come into competition with you even. The, The things of this world are actually settled. The end of how this goes is known and it's settled. And you're outside of time and space and you are good, and you are loving, and you have a desire for for this world to to be uh, in a place where, where, where human beings flourish and prosper. This is your heart. Your heart isn't for destruction. Your heart isn't for judgment. But Lord, our hearts are twisted, and our hearts are maligned. And God, we have not done the right thing. God, we have sought everything but your kingdom. We have been distracted, and we have went our own way, and we have made idols out of everything around us. We've allowed anger and resentment to create a root of bitterness in our lives, and we've allowed that to harden our hearts, and, and we've, we've shut our eyes to the world around us. We, we've, just, we've had an attitude that said, if it's not in my, back door, my, my backyard, it's not my problem, we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. We haven't loved you supremely. We haven't listened to you. We haven't we haven't guarded the things that you told us. We haven't we haven't taken your word as sacred. And God, I I have done these things. God, I have allowed bitterness, and I'm repenting of that. And God, our church it's it, it, it was again it. It's had division, and there's, there's been a cycle of division even that, that's happened through here, and we break that in the name of Jesus. We just say away that the enemy has no place here, that the wall that, that, that protects that and guards that, and that, Lord, you would rebuild that, that the gate that keeps that out, Lord, that you would build that, and that, God, we would walk in the unity that you've desired for us, the, the unity that you purchased for the church, the, the very unity, God, that, that, that says that the world out there would actually know your love, because of the way that we love one another, so God, forgive us of our division, forgive us of our anger and of our resentment. Forgive us that we've held things against family members and 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 against uh, against neighbors that we have uh, that we have not loved well. That we haven't been like you in our attitude of forgiveness. Help us to be a seven times seventy kind of a people, Lord. That that no matter. How many times someone would come and ask for forgiveness, we would recognize the degree of forgiveness that was, that was given to us, and out of that, we would be a forgiving people. Lord, we're asking that you would forgive us. Forgive us of our sins in this place. We humbly stand before you, and we, we ask, God, we repent, and we ask, God, that you remake us into something amazing. That God that you rebuild the walls and you rebuild this church into something that, uh, that honors you that gives you glory, that's pleasing to you in every way, that's effective in our community. We ask, Lord, that you would give us and give into our community strong marriages and strong families, strong neighborhoods, Lord, strong churches that that honor you, Lord, people that would go out and seek after the the lost and, and those who are struggling, Lord, people of comfort, peacemakers, Lord. We're asking that you would make us into that, that, God, that we would truly go, that we would recognize the call that you've called us to go and to, and to make disciples. Lord, we're asking that you would make us a discipling church and disciple makers individually. Give us a heart to share the good news, the gospel uh, to those who are in need. Give us, give us the desire in our heart to speak out to our work, to those who we work with and, and to our neighbors and to tell them about the hope that's in Jesus, the only hope that there is. Restore us, God, Rebuild these walls, God, that the enemy would have no place in us, around us, or over us. God, we pray that only you would uh, just hold those, those spaces in us, around us, and over us. That it would be by your Holy Spirit, God, that we would operate and that we would move. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.